What stands out to me about that reading is how often Luke speaks of the Holy Spirit in relationship to Simeon. The Holy Spirit rested on him. The Holy Spirit had revealed to him that he would not see death till he had seen the Lord's Messiah. And then the Holy Spirit guides him into the temple to do, seemingly, a very transactional thing. A few years ago, I remember paying my property taxes. Fun memory, right? The ladies behind the counter were very friendly. It was busy, and they just kept plugging away at finding people's information from the long row of file folders, and then taking the checks and double-checking the numbers and finding it on the computer and making a receipt. I mean, if I had to do that transaction hundreds of times over the course of hours, I genuinely wonder how many times I would absentmindedly miss a step. Or, you know what else I might do? My friendliness might wane a bit. I might stop saying, good morning, with a perky voice. I think I'd turn into a robot at some point. Just give me your bill, I'll tear off the bottom, I'll go here and then there and then staple that and hand the receipt back and then say, next, and then do it again. It's kind of like that Dunkin' Donuts guy who starts out ready and rearing to go because it's time to make the donuts. But over time, it becomes a transaction, right? He kind of turns into a robot. Like, here we go again. It's kind of how I imagine Simeon, which is probably not fair because Scripture says he is righteous and devout, so he's probably far better at thoughtfully carrying out these legalistic rituals. He's probably better at this than I would be. But if I were Simeon coming into work again, because eight days had passed for Mary and Joseph, which according to the law says that that's when they have to come to the temple. They've made the appropriate sacrifice at the altar of the Lord, according to the law. Here's another firstborn son, so it's time for the circumcision, time for the presentation, time for the naming of Jesus according to the law. Simeon's no spring chicken. He's probably done this many times before. This could easily be just another legal transaction he has to do like stamping your tax bill as paid or going in to make the donuts or doing that thing in your life that you do every day. You could probably do it with your eyes closed like a mindless robot. And that's part of what makes this moment in Scripture so powerful to me. It moves from a gray feeling, drab, legalistic, go through the motions moment to a bright, breathtaking moment of victory where an elder, a wise sleepwalking elder gets excited. In fact, the way Luke writes his gospel, it's as though Simeon breaks into song. Simeon takes Jesus into his arms and sings. And since I'm a child of the 80s, I grew up in the Lutheran church. The LCA had the, the green book. And in that uh, Lutheran book of worship, this was one of the songs we sang. Lord, now you let your servant go in peace. Your word has been fulfilled. My own eyes have seen the salvation which you have prepared in the sight of every people. A light to reveal you to the nations and the glory of your people, Israel. Glory to the Father. Do you remember this one? Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now and will be forever. Amen. I always screwed up the end of it. That's Simeon's song. Uh, we didn't just make that one up and put it in the green book. Simeon 
Those are his words from the Gospel of Luke. The Holy Spirit guards this transformational moment from what could have felt like a transactional moment. I think Simeon's experience as a priest of the temple speaks to one of life's greatest dangers. I know it's a cliche, but we just don't often enough stop to smell the roses. We'll stop to take a deep breath. Look at the wide view. Consider the long term. Remember. Dream. Kind of what we do at the end of a year. We allow ourselves too easily to become robots. Agents of transaction instead of participants in transformation. The Holy Spirit is to credit for sparking that song in Simeon, just like the Holy Spirit lights fires in our hearts. The question for me as I enter a new year is, yes, the Holy Spirit sparks fires in our hearts. Am I noticing? I'm a routine guy. I love the comfort of predictability. I think I'm most productive and efficient when I get into the, to a groove that is shaped by routine. But I also know, at this point in my life, that a groove can become a rut. And as much as I can be productive because I know what's coming, I can also get stuck in that rut because I already know what's coming. On this New Year's week, as we come into a new year, I think many of us take time this time of year to reflect on the ruts we're maybe stuck in. Maybe we take a moment to admit that we're tired of making the donuts, of mechanically sleepwalking through parts of our lives. It's my greatest fear, actually, as pastor, actually as a, as a person, to arrive at a day when I stand before everyone, whatever that means in this world, as I stand before a camera. But it's, it's my greatest fear to be somewhere that is filled with or supposed to be filled with significance and meaning or maybe before a, a bunch of compromands and, and to get to that moment and simply feel like I'm just a cog in a wheel, pushing forward an agenda of an institution that people feel obliged to support. Losing track of the fire that the Spirit provides would be a greater loss to me than anything. When I was at seminary, there was a guy who lived across the street from our on-campus apartments. He was a former minister in another denomination, and I only got to know that because he wanted to share his story with me. He'd spent 25 years in the parish, he said, and it had ground him down to the point where he not only didn't attend worship anywhere anymore, he wasn't sure he still believed in God. And I thought, wow, yikes. And this came on the heels of a conversation my wife Carla and I had had. When Carla and I got engaged, 20 years ago tomorrow, by the way, did it on the beach after the millennium midnight, super romantic, super nervous. I kind of get nervous just thinking about it now, how much I didn't want to mess it up. But anyway, the Sunday after we were engaged, we went to church. And one of her pastors, his wife, after worship, pulled Carla aside for a heart-to-heart. You do not want to do this, she told Carla. I'm sure he's very nice, but you do not want to be a pastor's wife. Another man who loves you will come along. And I'm sure he would have, but lucky for me, Carla ignored her. Cynical clergy, just to help you see behind the curtain a little bit, complain about the church they serve. 
But after being a pastor for a little while now, I'm not sure the church is to blame for all our frustrations. I don't think the church is the source of sin, death, or the power of the devil, which is, of course, what drives pastors to lose faith and their spouses to regret their path. I think pastors are, in this way, just like every other human being. If we're not vigilant about holding on to the fire of the Holy Spirit, we can lose it. I don't think God takes it away, like, as if God's testing us. Let's see how you can do without me around. I think we get lost in all the other things that this world tries to pull us into. And when we don't return to the fire to, re- to warm our cold souls, when we don't take those deep breaths, when we don't take time to worship in the middle of the week, when we don't take time to look at the wide view, consider the long term, when we don't remember, when we don't dream, I think that fire of the Spirit can feel distant or at worst, even absent. And that's when we forget to sing. I think Simeon was in a healthy enough place to be ready to break into song at this transformational moment of presenting Jesus to the Lord on his eighth day. And most days, I think I'm doing okay, but I want to keep up my guard, knowing that as hard as the Spirit is at work in my life and in the life of First Lutheran, so is the power of sin, death, and the devil. Even in my time here, I've experienced enough of that power to know I need to continue to tend to my spiritual reserves just in case a pandemic or something might happen. How? How do any of us stay at the ready? have spiritual reserves for whatever the next crisis is. How do you do it? I know I need to sleep well, need to eat right, which this time of year is a challenge. There's a lot of sweet things on my countertop. I need to pray daily. I need to read books that I've never read before. I need to call people to hear their voice. I need to remember lessons from the past, maybe through journals or or pictures. What will you do to tend to your spiritual reserves? Rather than think about what a relief it's going to be that 2020 will finally be over in hopes that all of our problems from this year will magically disappear when the calendar flips. I suggest you make a list of ways you'll tend to God's presence in your life, tend to the Spirit that you've been baptized into. For the ongoing fire of the Spirit who seeks to light all our paths this new year and every year. Thanks be to God. Amen.